0: Welcome to the mainline podcast. I'm Adam Jacquez. We're in the meat of the spring schedule of Sooner Sports. We've got a lot to cover this evening. Uh, We're going to be talking football here in a minute with a special guest and then we'll get into some of our spring sport uh, updates as well. As we got softball, we got baseball uh, really kicking things off uh, strong
1: here. But uh, before we jump into all those different topics, Tyler, my co-host, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing well, Adam. Uh, Excited to be back in Denver. Got back into Denver late last night after a nice weekend back in Norman with the family. Got to kind of partake in some OU athletic events. uh, Spend some time with the family. You know, we're kind of in the midst of spring football getting underway here in just a few more weeks. Uh, Money is being, you know, handed around uh, all over uh, the uh, the campus by Joe Castiglione on the Board of Regents. We had some good news today, but Adam. Very excited about tonight's episode. We do have on a special guest that we want to welcome to the program, Mr. George Stoya, who has spent the last three years covering the Denver Broncos for the Denver Gazette, back in the state of Oklahoma, back in the 405, the newest member of the Sooner Scoop crew. Let's welcome on George to the podcast. George, how are you, sir?
2: I am uh, fantastic. I'm a little wet. It's pouring outside. Um, but I'm doing really well it's been kind of a whirlwind of a week for me uh, as you guys mentioned before we got on here I do finally have some furniture I know I've said that a few other places I've, I've not had any furniture and then I actually wrote some stories today uh, you mentioned a couple of them there for the border Regents. but yeah it's been it's been a busy uh, first few days back in Oklahoma
0: yeah, well, we're we're glad to have you, George. And I know it's uh, you're hitting the ground running with what you're doing with Sooner Scoop, just putting out some more content. I'm excited to see, you know, as the the weeks and the months progress, some of the new stuff that maybe hasn't been announced yet that, that's coming there. But um, I, I wanted to ask you a little bit about this in regards to why you chose to leave what was probably considered one of the best jobs in the entire country in in sports in covering the Denver Broncos, one of you know a few NFL franchises out there. A lot of people are clamoring for those jobs, but um, you called it a no-brainer in that article on Sooner Scoop, uh, just saying, hey, here's why I went to Sooner Scoop. And, um, and, and I, I don't think that OU fans necessarily fully grasp that because as fans were like, duh, it's a no-brainer. It's Oklahoma. <laughs> right. uh, and you mentioned how OU is kind of like the pro team in the state. But um, I would love to hear a little more, maybe more unpack, like, why was it such a no-brainer to go to Sooner Scoop? Like, what do you see in them? And, and Tyler and I, as subscribers, like, we kind of get it because we're behind the paywall a little bit, but... Uh, what do you see in Sinner's Group that made it such a no-brainer for you?
2: Well, I think it—it's a few things. Like, and I mentioned in there too, it's also a very personal thing because obviously I'm I'm from here, my family lives here, uh, and I think you guys probably know this. You're around my age, I would assume. Um, mm-hmm. At least you guys look like it. You look young, uh, but you know when I was in college my, my first thought was I want to win all the awards. I want to get the big job. I want to be in the big market and all that stuff. And, and, you know, I had a great job in Denver and that is a massive market and, you know, covering the NFL is something that's very rare that you get to do, especially at my age. It was, it was awesome. Um, but I think as I got older, I was like, man, like I miss being home, uh, for the holidays. You know, I haven't been home for Christmas in several years. Uh, Thanksgiving yeah. is the same way. And, and some of that stuff, won't go away covering college football either. But, um, you know, certain, you know, family events uh, not being there for, I think that I grew, as I grew older, I was like, I just want to be somewhere that I'm, I'm really, really happy. And I was, I was happy in Denver, but this is like, I, I just light up talking about being back in Oklahoma. But in terms of Sooner Scoop, when I was a student at the OU Daily, and even before I was a student, Sooner Scoop has been, in my opinion, the best Outlet covering the team for you know 20 years now, probably ever since really Carrie invented the website, um, you know, in the late 90s. And you know, they always broke the news. Um, I always thought that they wrote some of the more interesting things. I like the way that they allow their personalities, aka Eddie, uh, be themselves, right? Um, you know, that that's very rare in today's media atmosphere to be at a place that allows you to be yourself in a way, um, not only in your writing or your, your work that you're doing, but, um, just in life. Uh, and I, I really appreciate that about them. Um, and and I, I've gotten to know Carrie and Eddie and Josh and Bob, all those guys throughout the years. Cause you know, I covered the team for, for three years for the student newspaper and, Mm -hmm. you know, they respected my work and I respected their work and we just got to know each other. And, um, you know, this was always something that I thought might be a possibility. Um, and you know, they, they reached out honestly, it was like, I think it was back in September, maybe, um, that they first reached out. So it's been in the works, um, you know, sort of for a while now. And and obviously, we had to work some things out and nothing became official till later. Um, But, you know, when they reached out, it was to me, a very real opportunity that I wanted to consider because I knew one, it'd get me back home. But two, again, to the Sooner Scoop point, they're, in my opinion, the premier site. And there's just a lot of things that um, you know, to look forward to at scoop. I, you know, we have, like you mentioned earlier, there's a lot of plans for us in the future about what I'm going to be doing and, and who I'm going to be working with and things like that. And I, I can't get into all that stuff, but, um, that part really, you know, excites me. And so, um, I just think that in today's world, and I'm going on a rant here, but in today's world, like I've seen how the newspaper business works. Um, and the fact that they're not adding almost any paper is adding positions, right. Uh, is a big red flag. Uh, and for a place like Sooner Group to be adding people in a time that nowhere else is, um, is a big green flag. So uh, that that to me made it really a no brainer.
1: Well, George, I speak for a lot of people when we say how excited we are to have you back covering, um, you know, the University of Oklahoma athletic department. It's going to be a lot of fun. Can't wait to, you know, continue to enjoy your content that you put out. It's been it's been coming nonstop for the last couple of days. We look forward to, you know, more of it in the future. But, you know, George, last year. You covered a team, the Broncos, who were, you know, by you know by a large portion of the fan base, a huge disappointment. Very similar to what the Oklahoma Sooners just went through in the NFL here in Denver. That prompted a coaching change, but at OU the circumstances uh, are different. The fans remain almost unanimously behind Brent, his vision for the program, one final year in the Big Twelve, going into the SEC in 2024. But in your opinion, George, what win total or outcome this year? keeps everybody on board with Brent once the season is ended. in other words is it fair to be expecting that uh OU is going to be contending for a big 12 championship contending for a playoff spot or do we kind of have to be a little bit more realistic thinking that because of the huge roster turnover in the last 18 months this is still a work in progress this is still a project that Brent Venables is uh is working on
2: well I think it's definitely still a work in progress um you know I think that it's going to take time and and you know, I think the biggest, um, you know, sticking with the flag references here, the biggest green flag for Brent is that he was able to recruit the way that he did despite yeah. that record. Um, and so I think you're automatically going to see, you know, a, a lot of good change this next year in terms of who's on the roster, who's playing, right? Um, But in terms of next year, it's tough to say because it's like they could go... um you know, nine and three and you're like, oh, that's, you know, that's not bad. But like, what were those three losses? Was one of them a 49 to zero loss to Texas again? (laughs) Like that's, that's not good. Right. I don't know if you, if he would last, if that were to happen again, you know, if if it's an eight and four, what if it's an eight and four, but those four losses were really close. Right. And they were to to really good teams or, or whatever it is. Then maybe you look at it differently, but I think it's in that range, right? Like if, if they go eight and four next year, there's going to be a lot of pissed off people, I would assume. Uh, Still, I know that's a little bit of an improvement. I think nine and three, you're still you're kind of right there in the middle. I also think nine and three could get you in the Big Twelve title game. So, again, that that could look totally different if you can get there and and maybe you win that game. Um, My expectation is ten and two. I mean, I the way I look at the schedule, I think they should be five and zero heading into Dallas. Um, The way that it lines up for them, I, I just don't see those first five opponents being teams that they should lose to. I think they're going to have a lot more talent. Then you get to Texas and I think Texas is going to be really good next year. And I know we say that every year, but like, I actually believe it. I think they're going to be pretty good next year. Um, So that's a tough game, but then everybody else on the schedule, man, like I just don't see a scenario where they shouldn't have more talent. And I also think this coaching staff is going to get better. I mean, one of the things that I was very critical about Brent a year ago that I'm very interested to see how he does this next year is game management. I mean, I thought there were several games and and when you lose – you know I, what was it three four games by three points or less like a lot of that is determined on how the game is managed right i mean i know it's a few th- few plays here a few plays there but it's also a few timeouts here a few timeouts there maybe change the pace i mean the bedlam game i know they won but i remember like yelling at my tv what are they doing <laughs> with the uh you know you know uh doing the hurry up offense over and over so like those small things uh can go a long ways and so I, i'm really interested to see what that looks like and then um, you know, I think they've done a really good job in the transfer portal. I, I've said it several times now since I, I, I've come back. But, you know, a year ago they got transfers from, you know, Wyoming, Tulane, Hawaii, those sorts of places. This year they're getting them from Indiana, Wake Forest, Oklahoma State. And, and it, again, it's not a knock on those guys from a year ago, but it's a little bit different caliber caliber player that they are bringing in this year. I mean, the, the kid from Indiana, Desan McCulloch, I think that's how you say his last name, McCulloch, McCulloch, mm-hmm. whatever they have, they don't have a guy like that i mean that's a dude and uh you know i think he can be a huge difference maker and and deshaun white was a nice player last year at the cheetah position but this guy um can win your football game and uh i think that that's kind of what they missed at times last year so i, I think it's going to be really interesting but um but yeah i think the expectation like what i would tell fans is yeah the expectation should be to compete for a big 12 championship um but if they don't win one i i wouldn't call that a a failure by any means next season cuz this is going to take time but um, you know, I, I, think that if they're not competing for a big 12 championship, then yeah, it's, it's, uh, maybe time to press the panic button. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I definitely think there's a big mental difference between nine wins and 10 wins. Yes. Uh, yeah. So I, 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 think you're right there. The schedule definitely lines up for 10 wins to be a very realistic possibility, um, there's some definitely some soft parts, soft parts of the uh, the schedule there. So, uh, spring practice starts here in what ten days or so, and we're gonna be able to get to know this team a little bit better. There's a lot of differences now in college football with the transfer portal, with new high school recruits, uh, a lot more of them coming into the spring uh, practice uh, setting there. Uh, so, you know, what do you think is going to be the position battle that Sooner fans need to be most tuned into? Uh, to see that, hey, that ten wins is a, is a reality based on how how that position battle is going.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think there's several. Um, I'll give you one on offense and one on defense. I think on offense, I'm really interested at receiver because you're losing a guy at, in Marvin Mims that you know he he was so productive during his time and and he it felt like anytime they needed a, a big play down the field, he was their guy. And I know you know him and 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 Dylan you know weren't always on the same page, but they also were on the same page quite a bit. Uh, in terms of those big plays, who's going to be that guy? I think we all assume it's going to be Farouk, but who are some of those younger guys that can step up? I thought that was a position that they would maybe get more in the portal. Um, and we didn't really see, I know they got the kid from Michigan uh, that I think is a nice player, but what what does he look like? Who's going to step up? Who's going to be maybe one of those younger guys that can step into a role? I think tight end is also an interesting one because you lose, lose a guy like Willis, who you know not only was a great player on the field last year, but uh, a team captain, can Austin Stogner, you know, kind of step back in. That's such an interesting story. So I would say those, I mean, I I could go down the list. I I, I think the offensive line, right? Like who's going to step into some of those roles. I think those are some interesting battles on defense. I I think that it feels like linebackers pretty set uh, in terms of Stutzman and and, uh, Canick. I I would assume those are going to be the guys, maybe some other guys push for a spot there. Um, The defensive line, they got a lot of guys back. Um, I'm interested to see, you know, does does you know, some of these younger guys or some of these transfers come in at defensive end? Um, obviously, a lot of talk about uh, P.J. Adebarre. I, I hope I said that right. Um, you know, I, I think that he's a guy that can cont- contribute from day one. Bothroyd from Wake Forest. I think that he, he'll he push for a starting spot. What does Trace Ford look like out there? You know, is, is he healthy? Um, but for me, the biggest one uh, that I'm most excited about to watch is the Cheetahs position because it seems like it's, uh, Dasan McCulloch to, you know, to, to take over that role. But, you know, I know there's also been mentioned, maybe he'll move inside. Maybe they'll do some different things with him. There's been a lot of names that have been mentioned at that cheetah spot as well as safety. And, and it feels like, you know, if two guys emerge there, maybe somebody else moves to safety, like Peyton Bowen, I know has been mentioned at cheetah, but will he play safety? So it's, it's, it's one of those things that it's going to be interesting to see how that secondary shakes out, because I think some of those other spots are pretty pretty much we, we know what, what it's going to look like, but mm-hmm. uh, I think safety is also where they can just get a lot better. Um, you know, I don't want to just sit here and, you know, crap on Justin Broyles, but they upgraded at that position, right? Like I, I think Justin was a nice uh, role player um, and he was mm-hmm. a good kid, but uh, they really upgraded there. And I think that's a position that can be a huge difference maker in, in this type of defense. So I'm really interested to see what they do at the cheetah slash safety position.
1: You know, George, I know for a lot of people, especially for Adam and I, you know, being, you know, twenty seven, twenty eight years old, coming off of a six and seven type year, that's not something that really either of us or, you know, even including you in this as well, have really, you know, ever had to experience in, in our time as, you know, fans or covering the University of Oklahoma. Uh, but, you know, coming off of a six and seven year, someone had to be the scapegoat for last year's losing record. Some fans pinned it on Ted Roof as the DC. Others, you know, like you alluded to just a second ago, you know, BV's blunders with late game uh, management. But oddly enough, and I can't believe that, you know, a lot of fans felt this way. A lot of them kind of pinned it, uh, the, the failures of last year on the performance of Dylan Gay Gabriel in key moments. Now, Dylan Gabriel, he's got a five star behind him right now. Jackson Arnold coming in from Denton Guyer who's casting a big time shadow already. George, what does Dylan Gabriel need to do to change this perception from the fan base, and hopefully avoid getting himself into a similar situation like we saw, you know, two years ago from Spencer Rattler, you know, the incumbent starting quarterback who's got Caleb Williams, you know, breathing down his throat, and we all know how how that turned out. So, what does DG need to do,
2: uh, especially early on in this season, to to keep that from happening? I don't know if there's anything he can do uh, to change because I, I know how OU fans uh, operate and and I get it right um, you know especially when we saw like you mentioned a couple years ago you know now that that's happened with the Caleb Williams situation that's going to be everybody's point to uh, anytime Dylan makes a mistake as well just play Jackson Arnold because you know we did it with Caleb Williams a couple years ago the problem is uh, you know I, I just don't know I I think Jackson Arnold's going to be a really good player don't get me wrong. I think Caleb Williams is generational. Like I think that guy is just a phenomenal player. Um, And I I thought he was incredible last year at USC. I think he's going to go on and be fantastic in the NFL. Jackson Arnold, I I haven't seen that yet. I think he's going to be great. Don't get me wrong. He could go on to win the Heisman and be the number one pick. I don't know. Uh, But to throw a true freshman into that, it's a really tough thing to do. I mean, there's a reason Lincoln didn't do it with Caleb until, you know, um, you know, partway through that Texas game. So. I think that that's going to be the hard part. I think Dylan's biggest uh, issues is he's just not very consistent, right? Like we've seen it at times where he throws a a ball on the money down the, down the sideline to stoops or Mims or whoever. uh, And you're like, wow, where did that come from? Right. Um, And then he'll just miss somebody wide open. Right. Uh, He's not very good over the, over the middle of the field at times. Um, I think that's also just kind of how the offense is designed. Um, You know, there's a lot of vertical routes, so you don't see a lot of crossing routes over the middle at times, but, um, I think that those are things that you know he's got to be more consistent. But uh, the reality is, I don't think we're going to see a ton of Jackson Arnold unless Dylan Gabriel gets hurt. Um, you know, I think that Dylan Gabriel also gets a bad rap because at Oklahoma, we've seen what unbelievably great quarterbacks look like uh, when you talk about Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, even Jalen Hurts. Like these guys were were once in a lifetime type quarterbacks, and you had them, you know uh, you know, however many straight years that was five, six years. Um, and then you go to a guy like Dylan, Gabriel, who in my honest opinion is still maybe the best quarterback in the big 12. Um, you know, like he's a very good college football quarterback, but he's not that same caliber as those other guys. Uh, you could even make the argument. He's probably a top 10, top 15 quarterback in college football, which is a hard thing to do. But, um, you know, I, I think that you know, really good is 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 not great at Oklahoma, right? And so uh it's a hard thing to live up to. And I think Jackson Arnold will be great at Oklahoma, but I also think it's important for his development that he doesn't, you know, have to be forced into a situation where he's trying to like save the season uh in some capacity, right? And and again, I, I think the schedule lines up where you can win a lot of football games with Dylan Gabriel. I think they could easily win 10 games if not the conference with Dylan Gabriel at the at quarterback. And I, I think a large part of that's going to be, I think the run game is going to be really good next year. Okay. So um, I don't know if that answers the question, but I don't know if he can do anything other than just get better. And at this point in his career, I don't know how much of that is is actually possible. It certainly amazed me
0: how underappreciated I felt that his season was last year, especially considering that we didn't have Dylan Gabriel for a game and a half. And we saw the results there and there was literally nothing behind him. And people were still so upset with uh, what Dylan Gabriel uh, did throughout the season. And of course, you know, all seven losses were not on him. Maybe not even one of them was, but um, yeah, it's amazing how underappreciated he was. It was kind of like
2: Davis bevel. That's
0: yeah. That's the key. Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, kind of wanted to, to wrap up with our final question uh, around something that you were really talking about today with the board of regents. They met, they uh, were reviewing the $250 million uh, proposed uh, facilities for both uh, the football operations center. And I believe an academic center in there as well. Uh, so a lot of money funneling that direction, uh, but something that I think a lot of fans are maybe even more interested in is what could change for the stadium in the future, because it's been, uh, close to ten years now since that South End Zone Stadium was was first announced, uh, and we haven't seen anything really major since then. Uh, we actually took this particular question uh, over to our Twitter and asked fans, you know, what they wanted to see as a as an update for the stadium. We got a couple scary responses, at least for Tyler and I, as former. Uh, athletic uh, ticket office employees, people saying they wanted to expand the stadium to hundred thousand. And we know how difficult that is in, in today's age to sell that many tickets. Or uh, I know there's one person that said, remove the first two to three rows of the sidelines because it's too cramped. And uh, I would not want to make those phone calls to those season <laughs> ticket holders. But uh, we been also got a lot that. of been there and done that. Yeah. Um, we also got a lot, uh, uh, a lot of people that said, Hey, the press box, the press box needs to be updated. Uh, and I thought you'd be a great voice here to kind of give some insight into uh, the press box specifically, because I-, I find it interesting, just from my perspective, that fans are saying, "Hey, we need a new press box. It's so embarrassing." And yet, most of them have probably never stepped foot in there, don't know really why it's embarrassing or or anything. So, I'm curious to hear your perspective on why an update there would be so important.
2: Well, I can tell you, I've been to every press box in the Big Twelve except for Texas. Um, cause obviously they never play at Texas, but it is, I would say either the worst or the second worst press box, uh, in the big 12 next to Iowa state, Iowa States is very bad. They don't have air conditioning at the Iowa state one. So that probably makes it last. Um, but it's just, I think what it is, it's just outdated, um, is the biggest thing. There's not a ton of space up there, at least where the media is. I've, I've seen where the coaches are and they have a little bit more space in terms of, you know, where the coordinators and those folks are. Um, and so I think that that's part of it. They only have one elevator, uh, which is a bit of a pain in the butt, especially when you know coaches are trying to get down the field, media is trying to get down the field. You have suites up there, you know, people are trying to get up and down, and so uh, a lot of times you're maybe taking the stairs all the way down to the very bottom, um, which is a you know massive. I mean, I look, I I work out, right, you know, but uh, not everybody does, and so it's it's a little bit of a of a hassle for that. So I would just say that it's just old, man. Like and. Like the, it's, it gets really hot up there and I'm complaining. Like I know, uh, every fan in in the world listening to this is like, yeah, dude, we're standing out in the hundred to 110 degree heat in September. And I was like, yeah, I know. I, I apologize, but I, it's just old. And I, I, I also just think it doesn't look great. Like, I don't know if I, if that's just my take, uh, but like, even just like when you see it from a distance, you're just like, oh, that's old. Like it just looks old. Uh, and I think they could update it in a way that also benefits those seats up there. Uh, maybe creates more Suites um, which is what you want to do right I mean that's where the money is you know people paying for those type of premiums premium seats so I, I think that that's what they need to do and and in terms of you know what the timeline is on that Joe Joe C actually was asked about that today and he basically just said they're still you know have an architect looking at how to do it and you know it, it didn't get finished years ago because it was supposed to be phase two of the uh you know, South End Zone was phase one. That was supposed to be phase two. And it basically didn't get done because they didn't have the money. The economy wasn't great um, at the time and it just kind of got put on the back burner. And now you've got all these other projects. Like they really need to get the softball thing done, which it sounds like it's going to be done next year. You know, baseball needs upgrades. I mean, the LNC is a disaster. So they're trying to figure that out. Um, now they're committed to this, you know, $175 million football facility project. So they've just got all these things. And I think it just keeps getting put on the back burner. I think it'll get done eventually. And I think also with this move to the sec, they're going to have so much more money, uh, coming in, but that sort of project it's going to take years to complete. So, uh, unfortunately for me and all my media pals, uh, we're going to be stuck in that thing for, I think a little bit longer, but yeah, it's, 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 it's kind of disappointing, and it's also expensive. I mean, it mm-hmm. was like a, I think it's like a hundred and sixty million dollar project or something, and I'm sure it's yeah. gone up. I don't, I don't know. Uh, well, oddly, but-
1: oddly enough, I can remember back in what was it, Adam, 2017, 2018. You know, our our first couple of years working in the ticket office, we actually had the blueprints for the phase two of the expansion in the ticket office that we were taking a look at, but obviously that's outdated now. And with ultimately Oklahoma going to the sec the price tags going up, a lot more things are more affordable now. So you've got to feel like uh, Oklahoma it's the, the plans are going to be, you know, bigger and better as opposed to what they were six or seven years ago. But George, I got two quick ones here for you. Uh, starting just like I said, this first one not, has nothing to do with football whatsoever. You made the move back from Denver to Oklahoma First place in Norman you just had to go eat at back in town.
2: Eat or drink at, because I've either got, either um, or
1: either or throw a couple of them out there.
2: So I um I went to the mott for sure. I had okay. to go to the mott um mm-hmm. and got the chips and queso. I love their chips and queso there. No. Um and then I went to, and this one's more obscure and I think is more of a, just a personal thing for me is, uh, DOS boot on main street. I don't know if you guys have ever been yeah. there. Oh yeah, It's like a German bar. I really like it because no one ever goes there. Like I'm surprised they're still in business. Cause every time I go, there's no one there and the drinks are half off after 9 PM and it's, uh, you know, comes in the boot, which I think is cool. Uh, and it's cheap. And so, uh, I had to go there and, uh, drink and eat some, eat some pretzels, but Ocons, i've been there uh i love Ocons. and i mean it's the food's not amazing there but i just like the vibe um mm-hmm. it's a big big vibes place and then um i'm supposed to go to the library this week i don't know if you guys have been to the library yeah um oh, yeah. i love the library i could go on and on uh valare which i always said valare but i guess it's valare it's
1: it's still valeire to me so okay yeah, yeah, I always call that valeir <laughs> don't feel um, bad about that
2: someone corrected me the other day um where was i mean logies i mean it's a i you know it's got a roof hole now. I'll probably never go to logie's again the rest of my life I feel like I'm way too old to be going to logie's uh <laughs> at twenty six but uh you know i you guys are probably in school too when um I wish they still had brothers brothers and brothers mm-hmm. rest in peace that was that was my place when I was younger, but um, Diamond Dogs was also my place, and yes. I, I'm very upset that it's gone. Um, R.I.P. So I just listed Adam, like ten places, but <laughs>
1: <laughs> Adam, I've got one more here real quick, then I'll throw it over to you. But uh, George can't let you get out of here without talking about OU's transition to the SEC, and you know, as a media member, you know, you talked about you know you visited outside of you know going to Austin, you visited all the you know the uh the stadiums the the press boxes the the uh, venues in the big 12 but now that oklahoma is going to be transitioning to the sec what's what's one or two places that ou is going to be traveling to you know whether it's going to tuscaloosa it's going to the grove what's a what's a destination that you've kind of had on your bucket list growing up as a college football fan that you're like damn i'm excited that i'm going to get to go cover a game uh in that stadium
2: yeah, I think, I mean, there's a lot on that list. Um, you know, I would love to go tailgate uh, at the Grove. I, You know, as a working media member, I will probably not be able to do that, but I've heard it's just an awesome we.
1: After. We know Eddie's going to be out there. There's no chance oh, he's not sneaking out we've there. Already,
2: we've already come up with some uh, content ideas for that. Um, but I think, you know, if I had to pick one, because all of them would be great. I mean, Tuscaloosa will be awesome. You know, there's obviously a lot of talk about The Swamp being a visit, you know, every other year now. Um, But for me, I think um, going and covering a night game at Death Valley in Baton Rouge, I bet that place is just incredible. Um, I mean, the the people there are crazy and um, every game feels like a big game for them. I, I feel like that's also one of the best home field advantages is a night game in Baton Rouge. So I'd probably put that up there just, and I, I'm sure Baton Rouge is not a great city. I've not heard great things about it. Uh, but I bet the atmosphere in LSU on game day, uh, especially a night game, I bet it's phenomenal. Going to LSU and wearing a
0: neutral colored shirt like journalists do is probably the safest way to, to <laughs> yeah. go yeah. To <laughs> LSU game. Yeah. Uh, well, George, we greatly appreciate you giving us the time this evening. We know it's been busy for you as you've been getting started with Sooner Scoop less than a week ago, and you've been on a few other shows as well. So we greatly appreciate your time. Uh, check out George's Twitter profile. It's already linked in our show notes. Give him a follow there. Subscribe to Sooner Scoop so you can follow his work there. And of course, support what's going on there. As Tyler and I can attest, it's, it's money that's well spent. So we greatly appreciate your time this evening, George. <laughs> Well, Tyler, let's dive into a few spring sports that are currently active here. Let's start with women's basketball. They uh, end up getting the number two seed in the Big 12 tournament, um, I guess claiming a share of the overall regular season Big 12 title. Although, if you looked at all the messaging from OU, it sounds like they outright won it. So I'm not sure exactly how that plays out. It feels a little weird uh, knowing that the number one team, Texas, actually swept OU. But uh, still, nonetheless, a great accomplishment for this team to uh, only have five losses overall in the year and mm-hmm. to a point uh, that they really hadn't been at for seemingly like a decade at this point. Uh, and we yeah. near the mountaintop, if not the mountaintop.
1: Yeah. First, uh, first uh, big 12 championship uh, for the OU women's basketball program since 2009. So fantastic accomplish, accomplishment by, by this team, by Jenny Baranchek in her second year, you know, doing something that, you know, Sherry Cole at the very beginning of her career, you know, kind of, Kind of took OU basketball, uh, kind of to you know towards the uh, the pen it, the mountaintop. Uh, in the Big 12 Conference for women's basketball, so the fact that Jenny was able to get this done with the same group of players for the most part in just her second year it just kind of goes to show that the trajectory of this program they are on the right path. It's only going to get it's only going to continue to get bigger and better uh, for the OU women's basketball program. Uh, big opportunity uh, again as we uh, kick off the Big 12 women's basketball tournament this week up in Kansas City. OU gets underway uh, at 5 p.m. against the winner of. Kansas versus TCU, Oklahoma wins that game. Fast forward to the uh, on Saturday, uh, and then they will take on the winner of what it looks like is going to be Iowa State and Baylor. So, pretty pretty decent draw. You know, Oklahoma uh, was able to to knock off Baylor twice this year. I believe they split uh, both uh, the the two matchups with Iowa State. So. You know, Adam kind of feels like we could be looking at Red River potentially uh, for who wins the the Big 12 Women's Basketball Conference Championship. So it's going to be a lot of fun to see. Not really sure right now the status of Maddie Williams, who, you know, has uh, suffered an injury just a few days ago, what her status is going to be 48 hours away from, you know, the uh, opening game of the Big 12 tournament. But I like where this team stands. I think that Jenny's got a good plan going, and I'm excited to see how much further this team can continue riding the wave of momentum that they've built all season long yeah definitely Maddie
0: Williams, the only Sooner that made first team all-conference for Big 12. And women, for some reason, still do 10 players that get first team honors. I don't understand it. It seems like a really old, outdated tradition. There should really only be five. Uh, But 10 players make all Big 12 first team, and Maddie was the only Sooner that did that. Ana Unusa, Taylor Robertson uh, getting second place there. So I'm sure they feel a little bit slighted. And I think OU has the ability to probably get out of that first game, whether it's Kansas, or or certainly if it's TCU, I think OU is able to move on to the next round of the big 12 tournament. And then you really would like to have Maddie Williams back uh, for that second game, whether you play Iowa state or Baylor, those are both tournament teams, uh, tournament resume boosting teams. uh, If OU can win that game and then hopefully uh, you know, I, I'm sure this team is really wanting to have the opportunity to go up against Texas again. Um, you know, a lot of build up for that game that happened this past, I guess, Saturday or two Saturdays ago that it was now. And and OU really came out flat and, and didn't control mm-hmm. that game. And Texas uh, was able to, to run away with that one. I'm sure this team would love to have the opportunity to win the tournament against Texas. And I think I, I don't necessarily know, you know, seating wise, what OU's going to get benefit-wise from beating Iowa State or Baylor. Those are both tournament teams. But if you beat Texas and win the Big 12 tournament, you certainly get a major boost there because the last couple weeks, OU's been holding steady right there on most bracketologies at a five seed. You go up one seed number to a number four, and you're talking host at that point. Mm-hmm. I think that's really important for this team, especially if Maddie Williams is to be out for any extended amount of time. You want to be able to play those games at home at minimum because – um, you know this team has has made a big step forward, um, but I still don't think that they've played their best basketball yet. I think they've toyed around with some teams that are much lower <laughs> than them, like Kansas and Kansas State, and uh, have been in some real dogfights that probably they shouldn't have been in. So I do think that they can hit another level, and I think hopefully we'll be able to see that both in Kansas City and then hopefully again in Norman uh, once the Big Twelve or sorry the NCAA tournament starts.
1: Yeah, I mean, just the fact that we're sitting here on March 7th talking about the fact that there's a realistic possibility that OU women's basketball could... Potentially be hosting, you know, the the first two rounds of the NCAA tournament. I think that it's probably a safe bet to say if Oklahoma can figure out a way to run the table in Kansas City, win the Big 12 championship, you knock off a Baylor and Iowa State, you avenge your two losses to to a Texas team in the title game, then I think it's probably a pretty safe bet, almost a guarantee that OU would lock up a top four seed and get the hosting duties. But you know, if you can figure out a way to win a couple of games, advance, you know, to the to the championship game, then I stay. I still think that there is an outside chance that you could possibly land, uh, you know, a top four seed. But it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Obviously, Maddie Williams is going to have a huge hand in how far this team can go, not just in the Big Twelve tournament, but how far they can go in March Madness. So we'll see what's uh, we'll see what happens with Jenny Baranchek's group. But again, before this thing even you know, tips off in Kansas City, you do have to, you know, stand up and give a round of applause for what Jenny Bronchek has been able to do in two short years, the turnaround from this program, going from, you know, a a pretty bad below 500 team year in and year out to taking this team all the way to 20-plus wins to where, you you know, you share the conference championship in the regular season, something this team hasn't done in 14 years. Just fantastic job by Coach Bronchek. It's going to be a lot of fun to see what this team can do moving forward. Absolutely. Six minutes of women's basketball
0: talk. You're not getting that anywhere else. So we appreciate Nowhere everyone listening. Else. <laughs> Nowhere else. Appreciate everyone listening. Let's talk some other women's sports softball. Tyler, I don't know if you had a chance to actually attend
1: one of these games during I your, did. your time and you did. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Was it the Kentucky, the 18 to one game? Uh, no, it was actually the second Kentucky game on okay. Saturday uh, that Oklahoma, you know, did end up winning. I see Jordy Ball pitch. Jordy's continuing to make. She's continuing to progress. She's continuing to try to find her form. I know that command uh, w- was an issue for her earlier in the season, but again, uh, complete game. She did go the distance. Had four strikeouts. Only gave up one run. Um, so you know, anytime that this OU team is only going to give up a couple of runs or less in the circle with this lineup. It, it's, as, it's, as, it's as safe as a sure thing as, as there is in the world right now. But, yeah, um, did get a chance to, uh, to to take in, you know, one final game for me out of Marita Heinz Field. Um, I cannot wait for this new stadium to be built. I drove by the site. There's a big-ass hole dug uh, in, the, <laughs> in the middle of that lot right now. So work is being done. Progress is being made. Uh, but, but, yeah, I mean, looking at this team, you know, they did their job over the weekend, you know, in, in kind of the round robin tournament, going 4 0, outscoring their opponents 39 to 1. There's 17 wins, one loss on the year. Uh, big weekend ahead going out to SEC territory, going to Starkville, uh, where Oklahoma has two matchups against the Mississippi State Bulldogs, one against uh, a team from Omaha, and then one other. No name team. I apologize. I don't even name. That's how you know insignificant that they are. Uh, but yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun to watch this team continue to take strides, continue to get better and better. And like I said, Adam, you watch this team from top to bottom with what they've got—the forearms in the pitching, uh, in the bullpen. You look at the the depth of this roster and this lineup. I just don't see any team that's going to be able to beat this group two times out of three. So hopefully, you know, I'm not proven wrong, but I just like the the direction uh, of this team that Patty Gasso's got them going on right now.
0: Yeah, I thought it was good to see Jordy Ball in that particular situation. The game after you beat Kentucky 18 to one, you really demoralize yes. and demolish that team. They run mm-hmm. through something like four different pitchers uh, on that day. The very next day you come back, you throw Jordy Ball out there uh, against a team that, you know, is probably cowering over there in their dugout, honestly, to have to play this OU team again. And she pitches an entire game. You know, not a right. not a five run, uh, five inning run rule game, but a full seven innings. Struck out four. I thought she looked solid. I think um, she's definitely progressing back. And this team gets really, really scary if you have Alex Dracco and Nicole May pitching the way that they are currently, lined up with last year's Jordy Ball. And then if you look at the the offensive perspective of this team yeah, they're, they crush UCLA, they crush Kentucky. Um, They're starting to get their rhythm. I I don't think that the, the cumulative stats have really caught up just yet for, for what this team is doing offensively, but also at the same time, I think they can be better because Tiara Jennings, Mm -hmm. we know what she is and we know what she's capable of. And she's had a, a good year by her standards, probably a great year by any other softball program or softball player standards, but I don't think she's, you know, her full self that she can be reaching her, her max potential just yet only three yeah. home runs on the year. And I say only hitting four thirty eight. but mm-hmm. uh, that's just the the immense talent that a player like TRA has. We're seeing other players like Jada Coleman step up and take a leap up. Riley Boone's take taking a big leap forward this year. Um, yes. But, and even Grace Lyons, I think she's like seventh on the team in, in batting average at, 341 which is absolutely (laughs) stupid you know you can't say it without laughing but um i just think this team can get even better offensively Mm -hmm. which makes you think that you know something really special could happen we've seen this team win championships in a row multiple championships but we haven't seen them totally dominate demolish, demoralize crush everybody in the world series and that's certainly a possibility.
1: Well, and that, Adam, that you know, you bring up a great point, and I think that that's you know kind of one of the craziest things when you, when you think about you know the makeup of this team and how they've performed eighteen games so far into the season. Tiara Jennings, as good as she as good as she's been, she still has another gear, another level that she can get to. Kenzie Hansen, as good as she's been, you know, in the last seven to ten days, she's still finding her footing. She's still knocking the rust off. Uh, and of you know being injured, you know towards the back half of last season, and kind of getting off to a slow start this year. She's going to continue to get better. Sydney Sanders, the transfer from Arizona State, the All-American that had 21 home runs a year ago as a freshman, she still has some opportunity to to get better. She's still trying to find her footing in an Oklahoma uniform. So again, as good as this team has been, and again 17 and one on the year, dominant wins over UCLA, over Kentucky, a few other schools as well. This team is continuing to build momentum and get better and better. And like I said, Adam, when you've got a pitching staff that's got a three-headed monster with May, with Ball, with Starocko, who threw a no-hitter over the weekend, by the way, it's, it's just so much fun to watch. And if you're an opposing team, an opposing coach, an opposing lineup, how can you try to figure out a way to you know, not just knock this team off once? Because anybody can have a good game. But how can you find the consistency to where in a, in a regional, in a super regional, in a championship series in Oklahoma City, how can you figure out a way to take two out of three uh, from this team? Because all the, I, I just don't see it at this point right now, anybody having the horses to do it.
0: Kind of in a a little bit of a parallel is baseball. They started the season a little bumpy, not the same degree that softball did, of course, different programs, different sports, uh, different competition, of course. Uh, But baseball, we talked about about a week ago, started out 500, uh, headed into the Frisco College Baseball Classic And OU performed really well in that, took two out of three, have now won five of their last six, including today's game against UNLV. By the time some people listen to this, they may have already finished the second game that's that's happening Wednesday afternoon. Uh, But this team has exploded offensively over the last six, seven games or so. Um, Average, had at least nine runs in every single appearance uh, in Frisco, had 11 today, went into the ninth inning up 11-0. And I think Skip kind of left some younger pitchers in there a little bit too long. And UNLV was able to get six across the plate before OU was able to slam the door on the Rebels. So that game really not even as close as Uh, the scoreboard indicates, but Mm -hmm. I think the story of, of, you know, what happened to Frisco this past weekend is you saw some really great uh, middle relievers uh, come in to play Um, Carter Campbell, uh, jet Lotus um, guys that really came in and, you know, Oh, you didn't have great starting pitching necessarily in, in any of those appearances, but, had some good relievers come in and just kind of hold the tide. Um, I think OU was down uh, in the first two games that they won there, but um, had some great mid-relief pitching there. And then the offense has come around like we talked about in regards to they're starting to really score a, a lot of runs at this point, mm-hmm. a lot earlier than we even saw that happen last year. And, you know, this team isn't going to have the most hits, um, but they are going to create the most opportunities to score, um, the ability to, to run the bases, to be aggressive to take everything and, and and put that pitcher in an uncomfortable position. Um, You got to love what you're able to see out of this team. We're starting to see guys like Jackson Nicholas start to hit their stride. Dakota Harris was incredible clutch hitting and Frisco is named the MVP of, of that tournament. Um, And we still haven't even seen, you know, Bryce Madron and, and John Spikerman really hit their form. John Spikerman's still under 200 uh, hitting Uh, Madron's I think below 250 still. And we know that he's capable of a whole lot more. So Um, I think this team is setting up really well. Um, We've still got, um, you know, this upcoming weekend against Houston, but then Big 12 Mm -hmm. play starts after that against TCU, a really, really good TCU team. Uh, But then after that, um, as far as Big 12 play goes, you've got um, not the best competition in in Kansas State and at Baylor, uh, both those on the road, but, man, you could start to see some real momentum building up for this team before they even get to the real, you know, second half, the tough meat of their schedule.
1: Yeah. No, it it's going to be a lot of fun to watch and you know you made a really good point on one of the things that you know we're kind of seeing some parallels this year to what we saw a season ago where Oklahoma kind of comes out comes out of the gate struggling a little bit trying to find their footing but as we as the season moves further and further further and further along excuse me once you get into you know late March early April this team finding their footing Putting wins together, building momentum, having confidence in their pitching staff, starting to get some clarity on what this lineup can do, uh, you know, both, you know, at the plate, but then also one through nine, what they can do in the field defensively. I think that Skib Johnson, I think if you ask him right now, he's got to feel really good about the trajectory of this team right now. A lot of new faces, a lot of young pups, but they're, you know, starting to play good complementary baseball and moving forward into Big 12 play, you know, where competition. Outside of maybe a couple of schools, you know, good elite competition you're going to be facing, especially on the mound, week in and week out. So we'll see what this team can do. But I like the momentum that OU baseball has right now. And Adam, I got one last thing that I want to touch on, and we'll put a bow on this. We we saw something today that you know Joe Castiglione and the Board of Regents uh, met today, and they approved probably the biggest the biggest project, the biggest financial number. That we've ever seen with with OU athletics, and we all know with the with the transition to the SEC coming up here in about eighteen months or so, we know that Joe Castiglione, you know, over the last uh, you know year or two, has you know kind of done a tour all over the SEC, going to these different schools, going to these athletic departments, seeing the facilities, seeing the classrooms, seeing the locker rooms, training facilities, so on and so forth, and coming back to Oklahoma and knowing that you know even though we've got the brand. To shine and be elite in the Southeastern Conference, we're we're pretty lacking s- severely when it comes to facilities uh, and, and infrastructure. So I just again I know that there's been a lot of you know misconceptions out there that you know the University of Oklahoma, particularly the athletic department, it's a poor school. They can't afford the buyout. They can't afford you know the uh, uh, you know basically providing a facelift, the renovations to their facilities. But I I think that it you know you've got to give Joe C and this fan base especially a lot of praise because they just did 350 million dollars is what this uh, the board of regents committed to doing in terms of renovations for this athletic department and when you talk about you know the impact that this is going to have not just on the student athletes for you know during their time at school here with the amount of uh, you know with the the, the the newness of these facilities, the -the state-of-the-art technology, some of the things that these athletes are going to be able to take advantage of during their time at Oklahoma is going to be second to none. But then you also look at – the the improvements that are going to be made to these facilities and how big of an impact it's going to be from the fan standpoint going to these venues going and you know being part of the game day atmosphere I think that you know a lot of credit needs to be given to everybody in Norman right now because what what they've clearly set out Adam is yes we're going to the SEC yes we're going to go you know make a splash early on uh, with our play on the field and on the court but we're also you know we're not afraid to spend some money, and you know by God we're going to do what it takes, spending money wise, uh, to be one of the elites in that conference.
0: Yeah, and I think it's worth noting too that yes, there are the the billionaires and the millionaires that are funding you know some of these bigger donations. Yes, um, you know, but it, the foundation and the building blocks are still the average everyday fan. You know, and this is something that you and I talked to season ticket holders a lot about when we worked in the athletic department was. You know, you may have a season ticket holder that gives $500 or $200 a year, and it doesn't feel like a whole lot. and almost feels like, oh, I'm just getting price gouged to get a season ticket. But um, one thing that Sooner Club you know, talked about, and we tried to relay this, too, was, you know, hey, if you're donating $500 a year, that's covering, you know, books or academic tutoring or something like that for one student athlete for a semester. like. That is important because that allows um, you as the average every day, if we get, you know, a thousand people to donate the 500, that's a, mm-hmm. that's a stepping stone that then, you know, the bigger donors can stand on and say, Hey, instead of giving, you know, a bigger donation to academics, now I can give that to a facility project or, or new stadium or something like that. So mm-hmm. every piece of the puzzle is important. And I, I, I think a lot of small people think that, Oh, the big people are going to do all that for me, but we have to provide that foundation even as the average everyday fan. I think that's more, maybe a little bit more relatable to that. Hey, Mm -hmm. there are more average everyday fans that are doing that, that foundational piece that's allowing for these bigger projects to go into place. And it's a, it's a full fan base effort.
1: It is. And I think that Oklahoma is particularly football. I think that OU has kind of positioned themselves in a really good spot to where I know coming off of a six and seven year, it's not what anybody wanted in Brent's inaugural season, but when you look at the impact or when you look at the the dedication and the commitment that the Josie and this fan base and this donor base has made financially to where, you know, we're going to we're going to make some improvements. We're going to make some renovations. We're going to start building stuff up and making improvements to our facilities here at Oklahoma. You pair that with the fact that Oklahoma, even despite a six and seven year, was able to land a top four recruiting class, the best recruiting class you know, in, in the modern era since, you know, rivals in two four seven started doing this, and it I think that if if Oklahoma can figure out a way, if Brent Venables and this football team can figure out a way to Ramp it up with the productivity on the field this year. You go out and you win. You win ten games. You win eleven games. You win a Big Twelve championship. That's one hell of a springboard that you're launching yourself off into the SEC going into 2024. The momentum behind the football team. The momentum with you know the the donations and the giving and the fundraising. I think that Oklahoma is they're sitting in a very good spot right now. And you know I. I 6 and 7. Yeah, it sucks, but I think we're kind of past that. I'm we're not even thinking about that right now. We've got our eyes forward. We've got blinders on and it's going to be a, it's going to be very interesting to see what this team can do if they can capitalize on the momentum not just on the recruiting trail, but utilize those recruits. Win 10 or 11 games, win a conference championship, you know, put yourself in a in a good position that way when you step onto the field in the SEC next year, you're ready to go.
0: Yeah, certainly. We greatly appreciate everyone who's listened to our episode this week. If you enjoyed the the interview with George Stoya of Sooner Scoop, if you want us to do more things like that, if you enjoyed the spotlight that we're putting on some of these, maybe uh, programs that don't get nearly as much of a, a spotlight as football does, uh, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to, to know about that so we can continue doing those things. Or if you don't like it, let us know too. But uh, best ways to do that is leave us a review. Wherever you listen to your podcast, let us know there. Uh, you can tweet at us at the Mainline Pod. or or make a comment on one of our YouTube videos. uh, You can find us by searching on YouTube, uh, The Mainline Podcast on YouTube. Uh, Until next week, we thank everyone for listening and we will see everyone again next time for another episode of The Mainline Podcast.